If you've got a Bible with you, would you turn please to Ruth chapter 4. The book of Ruth chapter 4. If you've got a church Bible, there are page numbers, both for the Chinese and English Bibles, on the green sheet and some notes that show you my plan for how we go through Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, I'm going to read to you from verse 13 onwards. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Are you feeling full or empty at the moment? Are you feeling full or empty? Now, I'm not talking about whether you had enough for breakfast. I know some of the children and teenagers had some breakfast here. I hope that was good. I'm not talking about that sort of full or empty. There are many ways we can feel empty. Bereavement. Life is empty of the person who filled so much of your life. Or not feeling much use to anyone. Empty of feeling worthwhile or important to someone. Life is a slog from one pressure to the next. You can feel empty of joy, empty of purpose. Once when I was preaching at another church, I said, what a sad thing. What a sad thing if in life the best is behind you, not ahead of you. How sad that is. And there was a man there. As I said it, he looked as if I'd punched him in the face. And afterwards I thought, yeah, I suppose that was a bit of a punch in the face for you. Hard to take. He was about 70. His wife had died. The marriages of both his children had broken up. His working life had gone. He had been quite a sportsman, but now his body could just no longer do it. And he wasn't a Christian. He had no hope in the face of death. Life was empty of hope for him. The best was all behind him. It's another way we could be empty. Or you could be empty of God. Empty of God. Even while having lots of religious activities and doing lots of religious things, God can seem so distant and your life is empty of God. Why am I talking about being empty? Because the book of Ruth is the story of Naomi going from empty to full. That's the main storyline, I believe, in this book. Naomi going from empty to full. I want to see that now. And my aim is we see it so we trust God. 
He can fill the empty. You see it, so you seek that God would fill you by the Lord Jesus. And also, as we see Naomi's story, so that we should be realistic, God's timetable and method for filling us can be very different from ours. And sometimes a difficult one. So, let's see Naomi going from empty to full. I want to look at her experience, then how that bridges to us, and then look at our experience. That's the plan. So, first of all, Naomi's experience. She started empty. Naomi's family had moved away from God's people, Israel, and they'd gone to live with the enemy, Moab. And they'd done that because there was famine in their hometown of Bethlehem. But while they were off in in Moab, Naomi's husband died, and then both of her sons died. Eventually, she comes back to her hometown, Bethlehem, and the people of the town come out to meet her. Here's Naomi, home again. And they look pleased to see her. But she has some rather different words for them. Let's read them. Chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, what did she say to her townspeople? Verse 20 and 21. Chapter 1, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you see, she says, she's empty now. She's got the grief of bereavement. Imagine, can you imagine? Her husband and both of her sons have died. She can't hear their voice. She can't hold their hand. She can't ask their opinion. And and in her worst grief, she can't go to them for help with her grief. What a difficult thing being widowed must be. And so she has this emptiness, but it's not just psychological. She lived in a time when women were mistreated in Israel, and she's, she's now without protector or provider. So it's no good just saying to her, cheer up, focus on the positive. She really is empty. But quickly we move on to find the book is, well, I think I put on the notice sheet and I was going to call it partial fillings. And I still am, but it makes me think of a dentist. So sorry about that. (laughs) Partial fillings. I couldn't think of a better way to put it because they are sort of partial fillings that we find along the way, but not of the dentist variety. Chapter one ends with verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. It's just a hint, but it's a very good hint. There's a chance Naomi won't stay empty. She's got her daughter-in-law with her. And if you've been here and heard the story, you know this daughter-in-law is a very good daughter-in-law. She loves her mother-in-law and she will stick with her and even leave her homeland for her. And barley harvest was beginning. The harvest is being reaped, so there's a chance she might have food, especially as she's coming back to the land where God had enacted laws that said the poor must get some of the harvest. 
don't need to pay for it. They just must get some of the harvest. There's a hint. Empty Naomi has a chance of being filled again. And so we go into chapter two. And in chapter two, Ruth takes advantage of those laws and gathers up the leftover barley. Towards the end of the chapter, she brings it back to Naomi. And she brings back a large amount. When we were in chapter two, I had a jug up the front and and I forgotten to bring it. And I think it was something like 20 of those jugs full of barley. And so verse 18 says, chapter 2, verse 18, Ruth brought out or brought forth and gave to Naomi. The language is significant. Ruth brought forth. It's almost as if she'd got food hidden away in her clothing. And she brings out what's almost inside of her brings it forth to give to Naomi. Can you see what that might be a hint or a picture of? Ruth bringing forth something for Naomi. We'll find out when we get to chapter four. Naomi has food. She is filled. She has a lot of food. But the chapter still ends with two poor widows relying on picking up the harvest behind the harvesters. And so we move into chapter three. And in chapter three, Ruth asks Boaz, the rich man in charge of the harvest, to marry her. Towards the end of the chapter, Ruth goes back to Naomi and gives her six measures of barley. That's a lot of barley. And in verse 17, she says, Boaz told her, chapter three, verse 17, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. Make sure you're full of something you can give her. Again, do you see the picture? Ruth is to be full of something she can give to Naomi. It's a little picture or a hint of what's coming in chapter four. Naomi is filled again, but again the chapter ends, verse 18, with the women have to wait and see. Wait and see. Are they going to be lifted out of poverty? Now, are you starting to see the storyline? of this book. The storyline is God has a plan to fill Naomi. He gives her encouragements along the way. I've called them partial fillings. But she has to be patient. But he will do it. Let's see that now. We've had empty, partially filled, and then full in chapter four. Full in chapter four. How does the story of Ruth end? Now, the way it's often told, you'd think that it ends with Ruth being married, because the way it's often read, the big thing is it's a romance, and it's all about, will Ruth get a husband? It's like a Jane Austen story. But it isn't supposed to be just a Jane Austen story, or some other romance. Ruth does get married in verse 13. Verse 13, Ruth is married. But the story doesn't end there. It carries on past there. A boy is born in verse 13. And as soon as he's born, who do we read about? Verse 14. As soon as he's born, verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord. It's Naomi. And where is the boy who's been born? Where is he? Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. Naomi's lap. And how is this child described? 
Verse 17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. How funny. He's biologically Ruth's son. But they said, he's, he's, we're thinking of him as Naomi's son. It turns out the story has been about Naomi being filled. That's what it's all about, Naomi being filled. Now, how was she filled? How was Naomi filled? Let's have a look back at verse 14. Verse 14, the people tell us how she was filled. Verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. The Lord has done it. That's how God's word teaches us to view all events. It's the Lord's doing. You can see that if you look back at verse 12. The people prayed, through the offspring the Lord gives you. And it wasn't just the people thought this, the writer of the book thought it too. Verse 13, the Lord enabled her to conceive. You see, the people of the town and the writer of the book are all in agreement, as is the whole Bible. God is in control. The details of this life are in her hands. Naomi having a son in her lap is the Lord's doing. But what did it involve? They say it's the Lord's doing. It's all very well saying that. What did it involve? It involved Elimelech's bad decision to go to Moab. It involved Marlon, Ruth's previous husband, dying. It involved Ruth's good decision that she would stick with her mother-in-law. What a good daughter. Did you notice that amazing phrase in verse 15? Ruth is better than seven sons. In that society, that's quite some statement. Don't let it be said the Bible has a low view of women. She's better than seven sons. It involved the other kinsman redeemer refusing to help. It involved Boaz having a very good plan for making sure he was going to get his wife. In other words, it involved a whole load of human decisions, some bad, some good. But behind them all, God was in control, working behind the scenes to fill the person he loved, Naomi. I wonder if you can think of a verse that was read to us earlier that says that sort of thing. This is one of the reasons Romans 8 was read to us. Do you know Romans 8 verse 28? It's well worth knowing and it's what was happening here. Romans 8 verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not all things are good. Elimelech going to Moab was not good. Marlon dying was not good. The kinsman redeemer refusing to do what he should was not good. But God worked them all out for good. That's what he's like. This is called the doctrine of providence. God in control behind the scenes. I'll give you another example that's a bit less ancient than Ruth and Naomi. Corrie and Betsy Ten Boom were Christians in the Netherlands in the Second World War. And the Nazi Germans had invaded and occupied. And the Ten Boom family were hiding Jews in their home that got discovered and arrested. And the two sisters, Corrie and Betsy, were sent off to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And there they had Bible studies with their fellow prisoners in their huts. 
Why didn't the guards come in and stop that? Because the hut was infested with fleas and the guards didn't want to catch fleas. God used Corrie and Betsy Ten Boom and their example and their Bible studies, not just there in that hut, but ever since. He's been using them to demonstrate his goodness and to encourage people, and to bring glory to his name and comfort to struggling people. But he used their good decisions, the Nazis' bad decisions, and even fleas. You see, that's what the book of Ruth is showing us. God at work behind the scenes, in control even of the little details to fill the empty. Are you empty? I'm sure there's some people feeling empty here today. Maybe even like Naomi, you say, call me bitter. The Almighty has made my life bitter. Naomi's story is to tell you God can fill the empty. Trust him. But his timing and methods may be different from yours. That was Naomi's experience. Now let's bridge from her to us. Let's bridge from Naomi to us. How do we get from Naomi to us? Some do simply by treating it as a heartwarming story. Doesn't it? it's, it's such a lovely story. It just makes us feel better. A little like this. Last week I saw someone wearing a sheet T-shirt saying, the future is love and kindness. Oh, isn't that nice? The future is love and kindness. We can all go home now, happy. 2023 onwards it will be love and kindness. Now, sometimes people treat the Bible like that. It's just nice sayings. It warms our hearts. doesn't matter what it means. It just makes me feel good. No, the Bible doesn't do that. It gives us something better. It gives us solid truth. So, what is the bridge from Naomi to us? It's verses 17 to 22. It's the family tree. It's a family tree of King David. But that family tree of King David then appears in a bigger family tree when you get to the New Testament. It's the family tree of Jesus himself. The bridge from Naomi to us is real history. Verse 17 to 22 tell us this is real history. But I don't just mean they say it really happened. They say more than that. These verses say it's part of something bigger God was doing. God wasn't just filling Naomi and wondering, leaving us wondering, will it happen for us? God was bringing the Messiah, the promised king, the promised greater son of David, who would fill the empty, who would rescue humanity. That is the family tree that really the whole Old Testament is. Have you thought of that? The, the whole Old Testament is really a family tree plus details filled in. The family tree of Jesus the Messiah. And the book of Ruth, ending with that family tree, tells us this quiet, domestic, non-miraculous story was part of God at work bringing his son into the world. That's the bridge from Naomi to us. So let's now move over that bridge from Naomi to us and think thirdly about our experience our experience. Ruth, the book of Ruth, is not a parable where you're supposed to find exact parallels for all the details. This happened to Ruth and Naomi, that must happen to us. 
No, it's real history that God can fill the empty. And then we look on in the Bible to see how. How for us? And here's the main thing, the most obvious thing we find. Jesus fills the empty. That's the main lesson. Jesus fills the empty. What was Naomi's lap filled with? Have a look again. Verse 16. What's Naomi's lap filled with? Verse 16. A child who's been born. Verse 17. A son who's been given. Does that ring a bell? A child has been born. A son who's been given. He is, verse 14 tells us, a kinsman redeemer. We thought it was Boaz. It turns out to be this son is a kinsman redeemer. He is called Obed, which means a servant. He's a servant of the Lord. And verse 15, he will secure Naomi's future. Now, if you know about Jesus, all of those ring a whole load of bells. He is a picture of Jesus. It's all a picture Naomi isn't just a heartwarming story. She is pointing us forward and saying, Jesus is the one who fills the empty. That's what it's all about. It's all pointing and saying, look, Jesus is the one who fills the empty. The Bible says that repeatedly. I'll just give you a few examples. Psalm 23, most famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want because he makes my cup overflow. Children, what do you have to do to a cup to make it overflow? Well, you have to fill it, don't you? You have to fill it to make it overflow. The Lord is our shepherd who fills us, it's saying. Who is that shepherd? Well, you get to John 10 and Jesus says, I am that good shepherd and I have come to give people life to the full. He's the one who fills us. Just before that, Jesus had also said, whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me, I will so fill with the spirit of God that he will flow out of them like rivers of living water. Now, I've just given you three examples out of so many places. The Bible says Jesus is the one who fills us. He fills the empty. How much does Jesus fill us now? What's it like being filled by Jesus now? We need to give that a bit of thought. And that is why we read Romans chapter 8. I'm going to turn back to Romans 8. You might like to, to help you follow this, or you might like to just listen. Romans chapter 8 has got significant parallels to Naomi's experience. Romans 8 tells the Christian, we have present sufferings. That's verse 18. That's like Naomi. Romans 8 tells us we live in a world full of frustration. Verse 20 says this world's full of frustration. And decay, verse 21, tells us everything's decaying. And God has a plan for this all, but he keeps us waiting for it. Verse 23, we wait eagerly. And verse 23, while we wait, life can make us groan. In other words, the Christian life is in many ways like Naomi in the middle of the story. Like Naomi, before everything had come to its good conclusion, there is waiting and there is groaning and there is difficulty in this world and in this life. 
But remember, while Naomi was waiting, she had those, what I can't find a better word than partial fillings. She had those times of partial filling to encourage her to keep going. Does the Christian? Yes. If you look back at verse 16, verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, the Christian is filled with God's spirit to give us encouragement. God has got more to come. God is with you. He's got a plan for all this. The Holy Spirit is elsewhere in the Bible called a down payment or a deposit on eternal life. What does it mean? It's something like this. Summer is coming up. You find online a cottage you'd like to stay in for holiday. You book it. And what do you do to secure the booking? You make a deposit. And that deposit guarantees to whoever the cottage belongs to, you'll pay the full amount later. The Holy Spirit is described in the Bible like that. God's deposit he's putting down to guarantee to you he'll pay the full amount later. God gives the Holy Spirit now to show us he'll give us the full experience, completely full of eternal life later. So Romans 8 verse 25 reminds us that means there's more to come. That means now we have to wait patiently. In some ways now we're like Naomi in the middle of the story. Waiting patiently, there's going to be more to come. We're living a life of hope. And Romans 8 verse 24 tells us hope means you haven't yet got it, it's yet to come. Now, this is not meant to be uh, that, that might have sounded rather downbeat. Oh dear, we're like Naomi in the middle, in her poverty, in her troubles, not sure what's going to happen. This is not meant to be a downbeat story, uh, uh, message. Ruth is not meant to be a downbeat story. Remember, Naomi had a lot of grain poured on her lap while she was waiting. God was generous to her while she was waiting for the completion. The New Testament many times tells us there are all sorts of ways we can be filled now while we're waiting for completion. Let me just point out one to you, and I'll pick this one because it's in Romans again. And I think it's like the concluding verse of Romans. It's chapter 15, verse 13. You might say the book of Romans has got a lot more after that. Yes, but it's a lot of travel details and greetings. I think this is like a conclusion of Romans. Chapter 15, verse 13. An example that it's not a downbeat message. God's got a lot for us along the way while we're waiting like Naomi. Chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can now be filled with joy. It's no coincidence it comes at the end of a book that's been all about Jesus has come, he has died for you, he has dealt with your sin. God has given the greatest of gifts. You can be confident he'll give you everything you need. And so, that book of Romans says, the love of God can be poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can know God now. 
and we can enjoy listening to him and speaking to him and praising him, we can be filled with joy now. We can have times like when Naomi had the grain poured into her lap and God pours out his love and we're lifted up with joy. Do you know such times? I hope so. Fellow Christians, we should and we should seek them. We should desire them. We should seek after times of enjoying God. And what else can we be filled with? Verse 13, peace. Peace. Even when we're not feeling the joy. And maybe like Naomi, we're we're struggling and we're in the middle of the difficulties. We can still be filled with peace because this book of Romans has told us, look, God's got a plan and he has guaranteed his love for you by sending his son. And so you can be confident, even if, like the Apostle Paul, you feel like you're being killed all day long, you can be convinced nothing will separate you from God's love. And so you can have peace. You can be filled with joy and peace. Now, there's something a bit odd about this verse. Do you notice what it says you can be filled with and then what it says you can overflow with? A couple of weeks ago, I read this verse with some people sitting at a table. And there at the table was a cup. And I said, if you filled that cup with orange juice, would it overflow with apple juice? No, of course it wouldn't. Well, why does it say, filled with joy and peace, you overflow with hope? And someone at that table said, well, if you filled the cup with red paint and blue paint, it might overflow with purple paint. So that's quite a good point, isn't it? Yeah, if you if you filled the cup with blue paint and red paint, it might overflow with purple paint. There might be something in that. You see, God can give us experiences of joy now and peace because we are convinced of his love now. And we should seek to be filled with both. Do you, fellow Christians? I'll say it again. We should seek that God would fill us with his joy and peace. So that the red joy and the blue peace can cause us to overflow with purple hope. Yeah, we've, we've tasted his joy now and we have peace that he's got a good plan for us. And so what happens? We're convinced he's got better ahead. We're convinced death will not cut this all off and make it end. We have hope and we overflow with it. What is that hope? Uh, well, that's a massive subject that I, I will have to stop now. But I will just point out it is back in chapter 8. So, for example, we read verse 18. Our hope is glory will be revealed in us. We're going to be filled with glory. When we see Jesus and we're made like him and we live with him forever. I hope you see the New Testament application of the book of Ruth. We've got to the end of the book of Ruth. I'm not intending to carry on uh, with it after this. It turns out to be all about God filling Naomi. It's to encourage you, God can fill the empty. It ends with this pointer to Jesus. He's the one who fills the empty. Trust him and then get looking into the Bible to find out what is that filling like? What should you seek now? What should you look forward to ahead? But I must also say again, it does point out this to us. God's method and timetable may be different from yours. But trust him. 
and seek him, he will fill the empty. Let's pray.